welcome to the October Pensions Podcast from the Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. I'm Graham Wrightson, a partner in the pensions team, and I have with me Naeem Noor, a senior associate in the team. Today we're going to talk about some of the key pensions law developments up to the end of October 2018, including the PPF's most recent levy rules consultation paper, a U-turn on the DWP's proposals for trustees to survey members' investment options, and evidence of the pension regulator's intention to take a more robust supervisory role. Before we look at those matters, however, we have a potentially game-changing case to discuss. Yesterday, the Court of Appeal handed down its judgment in the case of W.M. Morris and Supermarkets against various claimants. The case concerns a data breach by Morrison's, which was the result of the deliberate criminal actions of a disgruntled former employee. He exploited his legitimate working access to Morrison's databases to steal and post online the personal details of almost 100,000 Morrison's employees. Notwithstanding that Morrison's was not responsible for the breach, the court held that it was vicariously liable for the actions of its employee. But Graham, surely this case now leaves data controllers horribly exposed to the actions of others? Yes, Naeem, it does. However, there are steps that employers and trustees can take to protect themselves and which the Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team will be happy to assist you with. Looking at other developments this month, Naeem, could you explain some of the key points raised by the PPF in its levy rules consultation paper for the 2019-2020 levy year? Yes, I certainly can, Graham. The general message from the PPF is one of steady state. I guess this is not too surprising now that we are in the middle of the third PPF triennium. That's the three-year period during which the PPF aims to maintain stable levy rules. In terms of highlights, I would note as follows... The PPF reminds schemes with Type A or Type B contingent asset agreements, which are limited to a fixed cap, that it will no longer be possible to recertify such agreements unless they are re-executed using the PPF's latest standard form. It reports that while the last year has seen the highest level of claims on the fund in its history, the PPF's funding position remains strong and are on track to achieve its long-standing funding objective. It proposes to leave its levy parameters unchanged, meaning that it predicts it will collect around 10% less in levy payments in the 2019-20 levy year. It has put forward a new levy methodology to cope with the emergence of DB consolidator vehicles and the different risks they pose to the PPF, but emphasises that its methodology cannot be a substitute for an appropriate regulatory regime. It clarifies the exclusion of investment management expenses in its deficit reduction contribution guidance and states that it has decided not to extend the S&P credit model that it uses to score regulated financial institutions to entities in other regulated industries. So it sounds like those with type A or type B contingent asset agreements should consider taking early action on re-execution to ensure that all necessary steps are taken by the submission deadline. That's correct, Graham. This will then allow the PPF to continue to take into account a scheme's contingent asset for levy calculation purposes. Stevenson Harwood are able to assist with the re-execution process. Okay, thanks Naeem. In September, the DWP published its response to the consultation on clarifying and strengthening trustees' investment duties. The consultation and accompanying draft regulations proposed that, from 1 October 2019, A pension scheme's statement of investment principles should include a statement setting out how the trustees take account of the views which members hold. This proposal was meant to reflect the Law Commission's position in its 2017 report 
that there should be sufficient flexibility to allow non-financial considerations to be taken into account by trustees in limited circumstances, particularly where the membership may collectively hold a shared ethical or social position. However, in response to industry criticism about the uncertainty this could cause, the DWP has dropped this requirement. A particular concern included situations where trustees invest contrary to any ethical views members may hold, with this leading to a confused membership and potential legal challenges. That does sound like a sensible decision by the DWP. The requirement for a statement on member views would have muddied the waters of already misunderstood investment duties. Absolutely, Naeem. Trustees should welcome this news but should also remain conscious of the apparent direction of travel on ESG issues and be aware that some members may be scrutinising the investment decisions that trustees are making. So Naeem, I understand the pensions regulator is making clear that it will be taking its supervisory role more seriously. Well, Graham, that is the tone behind the pensions regulator's making workplace pensions work document, which sets out its future approach. Key features of that document include monitoring some larger schemes more closely with one-to-one supervision and engaging with smaller schemes more explicitly where there is a risk of failure. The pensions regulator's intervention will increase in relation to defined benefit schemes with more communication from the pensions regulator on matters concerning valuations and reduction of deficits. Defined contribution schemes will also face increased direct intervention to ensure that improvement actions are undertaken in a timely manner to reduce risks. The document explains that the pensions regulator considers that in future it will be a quicker, more proactive and tougher regulator. Well, that sounds like a positive move. Whilst the document is at pains to make it clear that the pensions regulator will take a tougher stance in the future, the proof is in the pudding. Clearly the document was written with a view to addressing criticism that the pensions regulator has faced in recent years for its apparent lack of teeth in dealing with scheme failures and potentially this new approach is too little, too late. It will take time before it becomes apparent whether this does signal a new era for the pensions regulator in which meaningful intervention leads to member benefits being better protected. In other news, there's been some helpful guidance from the DWP and the pensions regulator against the background of the dispute resolution function in relation to occupational and personal pension schemes having been transferred from the Pensions Advisory Service to the Pensions Ombudsman earlier this year. This means that all complaints and disputes in relation to such schemes are now dealt with by the Pensions Ombudsman. TPAS now deals only with general requests for pensions information and guidance. Legislation dealing with the signposting of the Pensions Ombudsman and TPAS to Internal Dispute Resolution Procedure applicants has not, however, been updated to reflect these developments. A joint notice dated 13 September 2018 from Guy Opperman, the Minister for Pensions, and Leslie Tipkin, Chief Executive of the Pensions Regulator, has confirmed that pension schemes will not be penalised for updating their IDRP signposting to reflect the current position in relation to the functions of the Pensions Ombudsman and TPAS. The notice also confirms that the modifications required to the out-of-date legislation are expected to be made by April 2020 at the latest. Thanks, Graham. That sounds like a practical solution to the current lack of parliamentary time to update the relevant pensions legislation. I understand there are a couple of other points worth flagging in relation to the Pensions Ombudsman and TPAS in that the Pensions Ombudsman now operates an early resolution service in addition to its normal adjudication service. The aim of the Early Resolution Service is to provide a quick, informal and streamlined process in relation to pension scheme complaints and disputes. Complainants will not be expected to go through the scheme's IDRP, 
before using the early resolution service, and the function currently provided by TPAS will transfer to the new single financial guidance body next year, where it will continue to provide pensions information and guidance. And so for one final topic today, it's worth mentioning an important development for trustees of registered pension schemes that are trust-based. HMRC has confirmed that for these schemes, there's no need for separate registration on the trust registration service. HMRC will consider that the trustees have met their reporting obligations under the money laundering legislation, provided details are kept up to date on the Manage and Register Pension Scheme Service or the Pension Schemes Online Service. This is finally useful confirmation from HMRC and highlights the importance of trustees of ensuring that the information on both of those services is maintained. Thanks, Graham. That's all for this month's podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope you found the podcast informative. And don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud or on the Stevenson Harwood website. (laughs) 